Josh Alvarez. I'm Liam O'Donnell. You're listening to episode 169 of Cinepunks. Unlike what some people would have you believe would be 170, this is the actual 169th episode of our show, Cinepunks. After that running gag, the running gag of 169, I'm supposed to be nicer to Chris Reject? Get out of here. Get out of here. I'm not going to be nicer to him. I fucking love Chris Reject, but this is still episode 169. So holla at your bizzle. That's what it is. Our, our friend, our mutual friend. Well, you don't know, Ed, but me and Chris's mutual friend, Ed, who lives in Chicago. I think he's originally from the Boston area. Um, Ed, you know, they're one of the nicest people I've ever met. I love them. Um, they've been a really like just just a welcoming presence here in Chicago. Not that other people haven't, but let's put it this way. Ed's one of the few welcoming presences here in Chicago who might actually listen to the show. So, uh, you know, thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ed. They're really nice. I, I appreciate them a lot. Um, but Ed was like busting my chops about Chris. And I was like, I, you can't say that I should be nicer to Chris. And Ed was like, well, Chris endorsed me as the new host of Cinebugs on the episode. So I got to get Chris's back. And I was uh, like, God damn it. it, Chris, pandering. He's pandering. <laughs> And also, I mean, if Ed is working to get you on the JCVD camp side yeah. of the of the divide. Yeah, they are. They are. I don't know. I don't know if these people know, Liam, that if it's beef with Liam, it's beef with Joey. I mean, so, I, bro, bro, I got it. I, I know that. I know that. But they think they think they can mess around. Know. Chris Reject all the time thinks he can just be like, oh, it's it's me and, and me and Josh against Liam. And I'm like, that's not how this works. I'll co- we complain about each other all the time. That's not the same thing, though. That's not yeah. the same. You know, I, if you guys want to hit me up, you know, friend of the show, uh, Andrew Welbrock will hit me up and be like, hey, yo, Josh is hard to schedule with. And I'm like, yeah, that's everyone knows <laughs> that's that. a reality. Yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, that's not a thing. But that we, we're still it's still team. It's team Cinepunks against the world. really. Yeah, man. Dude, it's it's happened in the past where like people yep. who I've had no problem with. Beef with Liam is beef with Joey, period. I mean, to be fair, people only get beef with me over a Cinepunks related thing. I don't know that anyone, <laughs> if, I mean, <clears throat> there are people who have deep issues with me on a personal level. No one has to like get up. I don't ask Josh to choose sides in that because that's a, that's a person thing. But if we're talking about business, no one really has beef business with me that isn't Cinepunks, right? Like, right, right. There's right, no right. other reason to be mad at me other than Cinepunk stuff. And for that, of course, Josh is going to be on my side, and I'm going to be <laughs> on Josh's side. I think, uh, although to be fair, we, you know, we we we've tried to put to bury that, except for the one guy who threatened your life. Yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah, yeah. threatened both of our lives, but he doesn't know me, so he just threatened <laughs> your life. But uh, the guy about the Russian movies—that's the only mm. guy. Really, that is like that's a standing beef until that guy says, sorry, I said I would shoot you about Russian movies <laughs> until that guy apologizes. We, you know, all beefs are, are pretty much gone for the most part. Yeah, because famously we forgave Ben Affleck. So, you know, I mean, he there, gets to live. There are people out there who I still don't trust 
Right. Mm. That's but, fair. Uh, but yeah, as long as yeah, they, yeah. as long as they don't talk shit on me, I'm I'm not gonna be out here talking shit on. Like I'm not here banging a drum on anybody. So yeah, no. there, you know, even there's like one personal beef I have, right? That isn't Cinepunks related. I don't, I still don't talk shit, right? Because I'm yeah. like, yo, I'm not trying to like stir the pot. I get it. They're mad at me. I'm still mad at them. But that's, I don't need to talk about it. It's not like something I'm yeah. interested in. You it's know not I mean? like so. some tea or something that needs to be spilled. I get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I get it. Some people love that. Like I get there. There are probably people listening right now who are like, oh, yeah, What's drama. The beef? Yeah. Oh, that's good. No. And like, I just don't have time for it. Like when famous people get in drama, I like that. I like historical drama. In fact, a lot of like history that is interesting is just fucking historical gossip. You know, it's just drama between <laughs> people. Oh, totally. Old beef. Love that shit. That's great. <laughs> but I don't need that like currently in my life. Like, no, there's no, too you. much actual shit to be upset about. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I do. I'm aware. The only time I take this shit seriously is when the tea is that someone's chosen something that actually hurts people. You know what I mean? Like, mm. oh, so-and-so is talking shit. I don't care about that. But uh, so-and-so has decided that trans people don't deserve rights or that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to support fucking Donald Trump or some shit like that. Or the Great Replacement Theory or stuff like this. Oh, like, totally. No, like no, real no, that's shit. not that's, the tea. Yeah. Yeah, then, then that's, but that's not drama. That's like, that's actual political, you know, uh, whatever. But like, it when people have drama, like, so and so said they don't like Tom or they John don't like Claude Van Damme. Well, yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, <laughs> to be fair about that, let's just say friend, these are all friends. Ed, Adriana, Justin Nordell. Lots of people told me I'm wrong about JCVD. Not necessarily that they love JCVD, though. I do think that Ed has some affection, and Adriana has some affection for his uh, for for JCVD's work, right? Um, but. It's not, they're not saying that, that they, you know, that about that. It's more like people are saying that when I say I write off JCVD totally, I totally, and, 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 and I do, there are JCVD movies I don't hate. Like I, I've enjoyed a hard target, you know, yeah, it's I've fine. enjoyed a blood sport. I'm iffy on blood sport. We rewatched <laughs> it for something. Right. And I was kind of like, it's fine. I, I think <laughs> it's just that JCVD I think is overrated. And when people tell me like, Oh, later JCVD, he brings a certain tortured charm to. I'm get get the fuck out of here. A like, je ne sais quoi. I can't with that. But then again, that's just an opinion thing. I don't have any actual beef with those folks. Even Reject, who we will roast unmercifully on this show all the time. <laughs> Although you know, I I do want to say you know because I know Reject is listening. Uh, I don't know Reject if, 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 if we didn't say this on the episode, but Josh thinks I was actually nice to you. So you should know that. <laughs> I do. That Josh I was do, like, you were being a little nice to Chris. And I was like, well, I wasn't trying to actually be mean to him. I don't get why he loves some things, but we don't have to have an actual fight about it. I just, you know. <laughs> and even with Cyborg, it's hard for me to totally take a shit on Cyborg because I feel bad Albert for- Albert Pyun movie, yeah. Yo, Albert Pyun ate shit for like his whole career. Like every movie was taken away from him and fucked with. There's a few shining gems, you know, but even reading, there's a whole book about his filmography. Even in the book, this is a guy who loves Albert Pune enough. He wrote a fucking book and half the time he'll be like, yeah, this one's interesting, but it sucks. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. even the guy who loved him enough to write a book on every Albert Pune movie or yeah, yeah. The book is about each of his movies. Um, even that guy has to be like, yeah, some of this shit sucks, but you know, I love Albert. Like he's cool. I love that. He tried to make these movies, but like, yeah, people kept fucking with them, you know, like whatever. So yeah, some of this shit sucks. 
I, 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 you can't help it, right? Like, I mean, you know, this is like I do an Eric Roberts podcast. People think I'm over here jerking off to every Eric Roberts movie. That's not real, right? Like, yeah, it's only like sixty percent of them. I mean, the the early part of Eric Roberts' career is kind of unassailable. That's the irony, right? So many of the recent movies are bad that mm. people then think they're all bad. You could do the same thing, right? If you just started at the beginning of his career and watched through the first like eight movies, you might say, well, not all these movies work totally, but he's great in all of them. So his whole career must be him being great, regardless of if the movies are good or not. That's not necessarily true. They, yeah. Eventually the movies catch up to him or he catches up to them, whichever one. I mean, he still does good things. Like there, there are definitely later performances that are amazing, but that doesn't necessarily save the movie. And there are plenty of movies, even way back in the day movies where he clearly didn't want to fucking be there. And it comes <laughs> across in the performance and you're like, Oh man, why did I start this Eric Roberts podcast? <laughs> but yeah. While you're watching stalked by my doctor too. Oh, oh, see, no, so you're good. you're wrong. All the stock by my doctor movies are amazing, top to bottom. I defend <laughs> the whole. I defend the whole. Even you the ones celebrate that, the entire canon. Even the ones that aren't as good as the first one are still fun to watch. Like I'll definitely say, like two is not as good. Three is a little rough at times, but like they're still fun movies. There are movies we had to watch for Eric Roberts that were like they're not fun, man. They're, you don't enjoy Ooh. it, and that's the bu- that's the bummer, right? It's not when they're. Like, okay, let's talk about, right, guys, we're going to start the episode in a second here. This is, by the way, this is part of our whole effort to do a slightly shorter show so that we can do more shows more often. And here we are already on a fucking tangent. We haven't even done the advertisements We don't yet. even say what we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're talking about the king of comedy. We'll get into it in a little bit here. Right. I do want to say, yeah. recently for Cinema Smorgasbord, we do... We do Eric Roberts every once in a while for Cinema Smorgasbord because we don't want to give it up entirely, but we just we didn't want to focus on it. And we did the the movie, the recent Michael Flatley movie called Blackbird. And Michael mm. Flatley wrote and directed and starred in a movie. It's a fucking nightmare. No one should have to watch it. What's so funny <laughs> about it to me, Eric Roberts is pretty fucking good at it. It's one of his better performances, actually, which is so funny because the rest of the movie is such a nightmare garbage film that like but not in a fun way. Let's be clear. This is no trash cans of terror or science crazed. Mm, this right. is just a, a, a pretty stupid movie. It, you know, a, a movie that looks good, but is dumb. And Michael Flatley wears a variety of shitty hats in it that it, it's almost worth watching the movie just to see that Michael Flatley owns 30 different versions of the same shitty hat. But, oh, you uh, don't mean metaphorical hats. Like he's writing, producing, directing, starring. And he literally has hats. a hat. Yeah, no, it's both, right? He can't <clears throat> act. He can't direct. He can't write. Also, he has seven or eight versions of the same shitty hat that he wears in almost every scene of the movie. And all, none of his shirts fit properly. Like they're all just a little too tight and they're all open like past his, his chest. And he just, he really is into the idea that he's an aging sex symbol and like, all the men are old and all the women are young in the movie. Nice. It's, it's literally like if you wanted to write a, 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 a like a joke about um, vanity pieces, you know, like there are some vanity project movies that are not terrible or at least they're better than they should be. This mm. movie is the essential vanity project. It is the essence, the er vanity project. It is the, the, the paragon of vanity projects. <laughs> it's unbelievable what a vanity project it is, which makes it sound like you should watch it because it'll be entertaining. But it's not entertaining even, Ooh, and it's terrible. That's rough, man. That's oh, rough. It's so ridiculous. Okay, we should, we should get started. Right. Well, We're talking speaking, about the king of comedy, by the way. Yeah. 
But who do we want to thank before we talk about the King of Comedy, Liam? First, we want to thank our patrons. Uh, two different patrons hit me up recently about shirts. I got shirts for you. They're next to me right now. I will hopefully send them out before this episode comes out. But in case they haven't arrived yet and you're wondering, like, ah, I asked Liam about shirts. Maybe I should get a shirt. Yeah, I'm sending you a shirt. If you aren't a, pat- a patron and you're thinking, wait, there are Cinepunk shirts I could get for free? Yeah, not only that, there's at least one regular I think we can say it's regular at this point. Patreon show that me and Josh do. Uh, Justin is working on a Patreon show. I think he's going to get it out soon. Me and Adriana are recording a new idea soon. We'll see how that goes over. Doug is still promising me, much to my dismay, that we're going to do an episode on the first Oasis record, which, you know, will be very fun for people who want to hear me try not to offend Oasis fans because I don't love Oasis <laughs> and Oasis fans. It's like a religion. I, in fact, I, uh, I we'll talk about this. on whacking out track. I want to bring it up again. Cause I was just talking about Oasis recently. Uh, and the reality is beyond all the stuff that you get, right. When you join the Patreon, you also get just the feeling of knowing that you're directly supporting this network, right? Like, uh, uh costs of running this thing are going up a little bit here and there. Um, we have a very sort of cheap uh, data storage thing, but as usage goes up, which we want, right? We want more people to listen. Then we're eventually going to have to pay more for that storage because the more that people access the data, the more that the hosting will go up. And again, it's not just about that stuff. We also do some limited advertising. Um, we're hoping to uh, eventually raise enough money on Patreon that we are paying the various people who make the shows, that we're paying people to write for the site if they want to write for the site, all that stuff. And right now, we're just not at that level yet, but we want to get there. Um, our hope is that once we reach $500 a month, we'll be able to pay people for their work. So if you want to be a part of that, go to patreon.com backslash Cinepunks, check it out. You can pledge for as little as a dollar and we will hook you up. So we, we would really appreciate that. Who else do we want to thank, Josh? We want to thank our friend Aaron Dahlbeck at Essex Coffee Roasters. Aaron is committed to purveying the finest roasted small batch coffee for people and to dispel the myth that coffee is a bourgeois endeavor. This is the people's coffee, people. This is coffee that's good. And also made by a good person. And um, if you put C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X in at checkout as your coupon code, you get 10% off of your order. In addition to that, you get to tell Aaron that we're cool and that we're doing the good work on his behalf as well. So head to Essex Coffee Roasters for coffee, tea, t-shirts, six swag, and uh, let him know that Cinepunk sent you and get some money off. Of course, we've already mentioned him a few times, but we do want to thank uh, Chris Reject and all of our friends over at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, head over to xlvacx.com. You know, it's a screen printer, right? Uh, you may be thinking, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Eventually it will, whether that's a <laughs> uh, podcast that you start, a band that you start, uh, a sporting uh, team that you join. And let's keep in mind, they are the punkest of the punk over there at LVAC. That doesn't mean your project needs to be punk. And I think people get confused about that. You know, they're doing the Hearst merch. They're doing Iron Sheik merch. You think that's all they do? Oh, no, 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 no. Little League teams, theater productions, um, uh, your, your kids' Lawn school. Lawn services. Yeah, your kids' school needs uh, shirts for, like, uh, uh, Spirit Day, whatever it is. LVAC is going to give you the best deal. They're going to give you a quality of work and you're going to um, really feel like you're supporting small business instead of going to one of these giant online conglomerates that wants to charge you 
retail prices to print some shirts, uh, LVAC is really the place you want to be. So head over to xlvacx.com. We know we make fun of Chris a lot here, but uh, whatever uh, uh, opinions we have of Chris's taste in art, it doesn't <laughs> affect the fact that LVAC is where you want to be. Uh, and of course, Josh, we want to thank our friend Sharky, who makes this episode and every episode sound amazing. Whatever we recorded, he makes it sound the best he can with what we give to him. <laughs> uh, and of course, Mechanical Shark Media, Josh, they can meet your media needs. They can meet all of your media needs from conceptualization of, of what you'd like to have done to the final purveyance of the product. They are there. Sharky and Amanda are amazing people. They're so generous with their talents with us and all of Cinepunks. And I guarantee you that if you go to them with your project that you need to do, say you need to do video stuff, say you need to do, um, you know, just shoots for a band or something like this. Sharky has you and Mechanical Shark Media, you can't get any better than that. So head over to MechanicalSharkMedia.com and again, tell them Cinepunk sent you. And uh, I don't know if that'll do anything for you, but for us, it'll make us look cool, which let's be honest, Liam, we're just always trying to be as cool as Sharky. So it's just what it is. Well, I wouldn't try to be as cool as Sharky because that feels impossible. Uh, <laughs> all right. So now right. is the part we do. Uh, we talk about things that we did and it's um how many uh, times have we done this before sco scooty and booty i think maybe shoot or toot yeah or it's a whack it on track, oh, whack it on track! <laughs> so liam what have you done lately that is whack or what have you done that is on track well i'll be honest i've had a lot more whack recently than on track just because of just a lot of things going wrong like so for example josh um, well, actually, I can relate my uh, one of my whacks to my own tracks. Let me talk in a larger scale about something that's whack and be really clear about something. Uh, we here at Cinepunks support uh, the rights of trans and non-binary people to exist. Uh, the laws that have been passed lately, Josh, are getting fucking draconian. Out of control. Yeah, they're uh, crazy. This Tennessee, and let's be clear. I obviously Josh loves drag race and and drag performance in general. I also appreciate drag. Uh, though Josh is the real fan and I'm, I'm sort of a poser in that sense. And yes, this Tennessee ban against drag is very upsetting, but we should also be clear that the way it's worded, it's clearly meant not just to apply to drag, but to also be a useful tool for enforcing performative gender. So that's about trans and non-binary people. I think it can also be deployed, Josh, to, for anyone that people think uh, are not doing gender the way they should. So if you are a cis person who at all likes to dress in a way that maybe people find interesting uh, and you're in Tennessee, there is the possibility that this law could be used against you. It's hard to know. It's a new law and it's hard to know how it will be enforced. And hopefully, like a lot of these crazy laws, uh, it'll get caught up in court and it will never get enforced. But the fact that we're at this point where uh, all of these states are so brazenly passing this legislation that really is obviously unconstitutional that like the, this should be a clearing call that we're in a tough spot. And to me, that is, I mean, whack doesn't even really describe it, but it's, this is really the place to mention it, that we, mm. we want uh, our, our trans and non-binary listeners to know as well as all of our LGBTQ friends that uh, we love them. Um, we've had many folks who are trans and non-binary uh, write for the site, do shows for the site, be guests on the site. Uh, they are our friends and our family members and, you know, uh, obviously, 
Um, there's not much that Cinepunks can do other than to lift up those voices. But uh, if if we need to do more, or we can do more. We we are all about that. But it's just it's one of those things where you don't want to focus on it. Like this is not a a, a, a current events show per se. But it also feels fucked to not mention it because it's so upset. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like so prevalent and it, it is such a big issue. Yeah, and it's an actual crisis. And I know too many people who I think mean well. But because they are bummed on current events generally, they just like pretend like shit isn't happening and it is mm. happening. And I don't want to pressure anyone like a lot of times you are in a place because of capitalism where you're just trying to survive and you don't know what to do. But I really do want to encourage people to start to think about what they can do. And, you know, it's one of those things, Josh, when I talk on this show or on Lunch with Liam, I talk about maybe wanting to do a project that is not media focus that's a little more serious this is one of the reasons because we you know i like to talk other people i know like to talk and like to share our ideas and uh i don't know that i can help but it's hard not to feel like maybe we should so that's a big whack my other whack was related to my on track which was um you know me and Suze have been trying for a while now to go see it i know a lot of people hate it but i want to see it for myself i want to make my own decision and uh, we've talked about on the show before. I can't see Marvel movies without my wife. We've made this call. <laughs> we, I just can't, right? Like, I, I get the opportunity to go to movies more than Suze does, which she is, you know, a little bummed on. Not She doesn't get mad at me, but it, it'd be nice if we could go together more. But often that's not the case. It's hard to find childcare, all that kind of stuff. So we've been trying to go to a matinee also to save money, like, just in case the movie is as bad as people say it is. I'd rather not spend nighttime prices so we've been trying to find a matinee <laughs> we bought tickets to see it uh, this past friday josh mm-hmm. and then there was the winter storm warning and so Ooh. uh mave's school got canceled and so she's home so we you know we and, and and thanks to people who said you can still get a refund we did get the ref well we got credit because i want to go to a different movie but yeah we we got the credit we can we'll, we'll go to a different movie it that's fine the part about it that was shitty but also good, and I'll explain why in a sec, is that there was no winter storm. It was none of it. It never happened. <laughs> I'm not kidding, y'all. I have my radar, and people who've done outdoor events will tell you my radar is like one of the best tools you can have if you're going to be working outside because it's often very accurate and it will help you know if you should start packing up. When I was doing little babies, I got my radar and it was incredibly useful. There were so many outdoor events where we were fully packed up and ready to go when the rain started because we we knew when it was coming we were right on time my radar huh yeah i'll tell you what my radar fucking failed me on friday i got no less than 15 alerts that within the next 20 minutes it was going to start snowing and you know what it never did josh snowed never snowed a drop not a fucking drop. not nary not one flake now the positive of that while is that it didn't snow in chicago Exactly. So that that night I could go see Drug Church, uh, Anxious and Webbed Wing at uh, the Bottom Lounge in Chicago, because if it had been this winter storm, I probably wasn't going to go. But friend of the show, fellow Cinepunk and former guest Mike Paulshock plays in Webbed Wing and he got me on the list. And so a uh, friend of the show, Nick uh, from Numerality Zine, he he's put out stuff for Anxious before, so they put him on the list. So we got to meet up and go to the show. So it's like, on one hand, it sucked because not that I mind spending the day with Maeve, like that was kind of fun, but we had plans, right? We had both yeah. fun plans and work plans. Suze had to write a sermon. I had some work to do for Rough Cut. 
all that shit had to go out the window, not entirely, but for the most part, because, you know, Maeve was home and school was canceled and there was no snow. So it's kind of frustrating, you know, like to be in that position of like, we got to, uh, there's a store we got to prepare for. I mean, literally we had Maeve in pajamas. Like she changed into pajamas for the day. Cause we're nice. like, we're about to be snowed in. So we're not going anywhere. This shit never happened. There was no snow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the positive mm-hmm. was like, when I was really worried, like I'm not going to get to the show tonight. I'm going to be snowed out. No. Now, on the way into Chicago, I will say, I'm exaggerating a little bit, there was a teeny bit of snow, but it didn't stick. And it really just mm. hit me. I wasn't even in the city. I was on the highway into the city. And I was like, oh, no, it's starting to snow a little bit. Didn't stick for one second. All gone. So I met up with Nick. We had dinner uh, in little uh, in Pilsen, got some Mexican food. And then we went over to the Bottom Lounge, which I've never been there before. It's in a neighborhood that it's one of those neighborhoods where you can tell it used to be like abandoned warehood warehouse mm, neighborhood warehood i get it yeah you know what i mean Williams like that sort of thing yeah but now it's like cool restaurant neighborhood a little bit mm. not quite hip but it's like trending towards hip and so this bottom lounge place it's really like a big building that someone is using the bottom floor to do shows and it's got a full bar and restaurant and a wedding venue as well as a concert venue uh the room isn't huge i'd compare it to like underground arts i think is probably a similar size it's a little wider and the high, uh, the ceiling is a little higher. Like sometimes in underground arts, you feel like a little claustrophobic in there, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a similar size, but it, it doesn't feel quite as tight. Uh, and uh, Anxious is like very much friends with Nick and he's done a lot of stuff with them. So they just walked us into the backstage, which was great. Nice. Uh, so I got to See. hang out backstage with them, talk to Mike for a while. Uh, because Drug Church was playing, uh, Pat from Drug Church was there. Now, what I love is, I didn't hit up Pat. I don't even know if his cell phone is working because he lives in Australia now. And it just, I figured, you know, they're kind of a bigger band now. So I'm not going to ask Pat for the hookup. Mike's there. Mike hooked me up. He's a good friend, whatever, whatever. But I'm backstage. I see Pat. He goes, oh, Liam. Oh, good. I had a question for you. And then he had questions for me about a project he has coming up. And what struck me about that, Josh, is he had no idea I was going to be there, right? I very easily <laughs> could have not. It's not like he got me in, right? Yeah. Let alone was I going to be backstage. It's not like Pat is going to wander this crowd of like probably 400, 500 people. He's not going to wander around looking for me. So mm. I just happened to be backstage and he goes, oh, I have a question for you. Now, he probably meant I was going to email this to you or something because it was about, you know, I, I don't want to spoil. It's just, it's a thing he has coming up. But uh, but he said it as if he knew I was going to be there. And I just rolled with it at the time. I was like, oh, sure. And we talked about whatever the thing you wanted to talk about. But then it was only later I went, what the fuck did he mean? Like, I got a question for you. Like, you knew I was going to be here. Like, motherfucker, <laughs> he, what are you talking about? But I, I, he probably just meant I was going to email you this. But since you're here, I'll ask you about it. But it was really funny because he, he acted like I was supposed to be there. And I'm back there going, what the fuck? Why am I back here? Like, it just, you know, it's really funny. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Mike, for the hookup. Uh, Webwing was great. Um, uh, and then Anxious. You know, here's the thing about Anxious, Josh. Those records are a little too, like, epic-y, kind of poppy stuff for me. You know, it's like very much like a post-saves-the-day sort of thing going on, mm-hmm. or a, probably a post I don't know. I don't know enough about those bands to even know what their influences are. Mm-hmm. Uh, though there are heavy moments. I don't want to make it sound like they're a pop punk band, uh, yeah. but it's just a little too epic in its melodic stuff for for my taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you what. Different seeing it live. Anxious live. So I was kind of into it. Yeah, and yeah. especially because the crowd was going fucking off. And like Bottom Lounge is a venue that usually has serious barriers. It's like a barrier thing. Mm-hmm. But 
drug church for the whole tour was like, fuck a barrier. Like we're not, we're fuck not yeah. playing. Yeah. Yeah. So they got rid of the barrier for the show. Um, so watching anxious was great. And then I went out in the crowd to watch drug church. Cause I just wanted to, the mm. only down part was I had to leave a little before drug church was finished because uh, I was actually running out of insulin and I had to go home and oh. change my insulin. So right. that kind of sucked. Like I was a, a little bummed on that, but I watched most of their set. I think I just didn't stay to like the absolute last song, but yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a fun show. Sounds uh, like an awesome time. Yeah. And I, I, I gotta say like, I know listeners, people have mixed opinions on Pat, uh, whatever. I gotta say as a front man, he's very impressive as a front man, I think. And I think that I respect him in that it is funny to me that like, the band that is the least about him is the one that blows up, you know, like self-defense mm. family is like very much, it, it's a communal effort, but it's very much more of his personality is in that band. And that's the one that like people like it, but it's not huge. Whereas drug church is like, they're becoming a thing. Right? Yeah. They're like, like a Foo Fighter band now. I mean, I wouldn't go that <laughs> far, but they're definitely like popular, you know? So, yeah. uh, and they were on tour with a uh, Prince daddy and the hyenas. I didn't stay. I don't know if people like that band. It's just, I've never really been into them. I've never seen them live, but it just not something I cared about. So I was sad. I didn't see all of drug church, but I was kind of ready to go at that point anyway. But I got to say uh, big up to Mike Paul shock. I really appreciate the hookup. I really love webbed wing. I think they're doing good stuff and I'm hoping Mike and Joey are going to be able to bring back their podcast. Wine and cheese. cheese. Yeah. Uh, there We talked about it a little bit at the show. I think it's possible. It's just, you know, just so people know, like, even though I want every show on the network to be regularly publishing, you know, we don't pay people yet. We don't have the Patreon yeah. money to pay people. So until we pay people, I'm not pressuring anybody. It's I no, get we're it. not going to ask anything. Do. Yeah, we, we're here to support, but we're not here to, you know. It's not like we have deadlines. Exactly. So um, it is what it is. Anyways, but th- that's about it, Josh. I haven't really been able to get to any movies or really watched a ton of like new stuff. I, honestly, there hasn't been a ton of new stuff i wanted to watch if i'm being mm. honest um I get it. um but you know I, I i do feel somewhat obligated to see ant-man just because like you still haven't seen it no we still because of the no snow it. yeah 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 and i'd like to go see it this week but we're we actually have a trip planned at the end of the week so i don't know if we're gonna have time to go see it i honestly need to get to a store and get some new pants. I just don't have enough <laughs> pants. And I, I bought a pair of pants while we were in Philly uh, that are nice. They're like uh land's end, nice pair of oh, pants, okay. cool, but they're, cool. but they're flannel lined. And the place <sighs> we're going to is not hot, but slightly warmer um, than where we are now. And I realized that like, though they're nice pants, if I'm wearing flannel lined pants, I'm going to be sweating my balls off. So yeah, I got it. Literally. I'm not trying a, to sweat your balls off. Yeah. I need at least one pair of like presentable adult pants, you know, and, mm. and obviously my overalls aren't going to cut it. So no, I, no, I thank you know, you. pant shopping is the kind of shopping that gives me the most anxiety. In fact, I suspect it's the only shopping that gives me anxiety. I think everything else, I'm pretty chill. But <laughs> pants, it's like, fuck, man, I don't know. I don't even know who, who, who even sells pants that I'm going to Who even buy. has this issue? Does, I mean, you, you're afraid of pants purchasing? Bro, I don't understand how you don't understand this as a fellow fatman. I what, get it. I, I mean. Think, I think the only issue here is that you've given up yeah. on pants that you 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 buy pants that look like good but like you're more focused on being comfy and you're willing to wear jeans and i've given up on jeans so i think that's the complication is i don't like jeans 
I, I don't really wear jeans very often. I have one pair that I occasionally wear. I mostly wear different kinds of khakis and they're usually like, I say khakis, that's not even the right term, but like chinos, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And, and I have a, a number of pairs that are like jean cut. So they look like jeans, but they're not made of denim. And then I have a number. Is of that like, an anti-denim thing? You just don't like the way denim feels? Yeah. I'm not really into denim. Like huh. I'm not against it. Like I have a, like I had for a long time, a couple of pairs of jeans I really liked, but like committing to jeans long enough. I mean, here's the thing. I'm at the point now, and granted, this is because we don't really talk about this too much on this show now that we have lunch with Liam, but I, I still, you know, I, I put on a lot of weight rapidly during the pandemic. So I was already a little bigger than I'd like to be. And then, you know, during the pandemic at this point, I put on like 30 pounds. Yeah. We're just trying to survive. Yeah. yeah I get it. Just in a very short period of time. And, you know, I'm not trying to shame myself about that per se, but it certainly makes the pants situation difficult, right? Yeah. And so yeah, given yeah. a choice, I would only wear overalls from now on. They don't have a waist, Josh. There's no waist. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's perfect. Yeah. and Or sweatpants. I like sweatpants. Yeah, and I, sweats. And I, and I do have a pair of khakis that are elastic waist khakis. I guess there's a term for them. I don't know what it is. They're not elastic bottoms, so they're not. No. Sh- yeah, I joggers. got the same pair. I got a pair from Doggers. They're, uh, they're, they're like four-way stretch jogger pants. I don't fucking know. They're great. It's like yeah, so I, business I got, and comfort. I need something like that. I need something that like is is comfy for my big old bell bell, but like it, you it could looks wear somewhat yeah. adult. Granted, I I'm don't need to look. I, I'm never going to present like a full adult, but I do want to <laughs> look more more adult than I because we're it's not a vacation. We're traveling for for Sue's. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like I I need to look presentable. And right now I don't feel very present. Here's the thing. Listen to Andrew Welbrock. If he tells you that this is what he's wearing, which is how I came to these four-way stretch jogger pants. If you get them shits, you're going to look good. I promise. Where are they from? Dockers, baby. Dockers. Did you, get, those, did you get, oh, you got, you ordered them. I, I did. Wanna, I want to go to a store, man, because I need them by Wednesday. So oh, I don't think I have time. Yeah. Yeah. To now, order. That's, that's an issue for the Chicagoland area for you. Yeah. So I, I need to go to a store and that's already an issue because as you know, a lot of stores don't really do the 38 to 40 range. Mm, so, I'm aware of that. Yeah, yeah, Levi's hasn't failed me. So, you know, I stay with that. But that's because I wear jeans like a normal person. <sighs> I know. I know, man. I it's cool. It's our proclivities jeans. that make us who we are, man. I, I get it. I love them. Yeah, well. I have a one pair of nice pants I really like that still fit. But I can't do that because they came from England. So... <laughs> Ooh. I don't think they'll get here by Wednesday. If I yeah, not by Wednesday, sir. Yeah. Not maybe Wednesday next month. All right. I've talked too much, Josh. What's going on with you? Whacking on track. Um, whackness. Um, well, whack. I don't know, man. Just seems like everybody's uh, pretty upset with me for one reason or another, which is okay. You know what I mean? It's probably my fault. I'm okay with that too. Um, so that sucks, but you know, whatever the good Lord is testing me, but, you know, your boy's still in it, so that's cool. Uh, another whack thing that happened to me was that I watched the Children of the Corn remake 2020 because uh, it finally got, yeah, boy. Woo! It's funny, man. I, uh, I watched it, and my only review was mad corny, bro. Stand by it. Stand by it. It was no good. It was, I mean, it was, it's one of those, so it's a remake. Like, okay, you got some corn, you know, but um, there's also, like, um, the main character is a young lady named Bo. And it felt as though no one could speak to this character in the movie without saying the name Bo. It was so much, in fact, that it was distracting to me. 
It's like, Bo, what are we going to do now, Bo? Bo, do you know how we get to the car keys, Bo? Bo, what's all this corn doing here? It was a lot saying the name, you know? Um, yeah, I didn't appreciate that so much. Uh, did we talk about cocaine bear? I saw cocaine bear. Uh, yes, we did because you okay. talked about getting the straw. Yes, yeah, so dumb, so dumb. The other thing is that I got to see. Well, I have a Scream Six uh, press screener this evening, which I'm pretty pumped on. Not for any reason, but I did watch the entire Scream catalog, the Scream Johns. I finished uh, episode four last night, and I saw episode five when it came out. So you know, going into episode six, all primed, so I'm ready. Um, as far as on track goes, well, yeah, seeing Scream Six is gonna be fun, but uh, I also have been knee deep in this new Homefront record, a, a band yes. that you introduced to oh, me. Yo, let me just holy say, holy shit, just man! Say, new music. I I didn't even think about that, but new Homefront record new, is the best uh, thing. It's new, so good. Nuvo Testamento record. Oh shit! I didn't know that that came yeah. out. New, Zu- yeah. new Zulu record, which I know a lot of people don't Ugh, like, but I'm, it's I'm so actually good. into it. I'm in, so, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. Oh, also, I sent you something from a You man. sent me a bunch of Mental- amazing- Mental- Mentalite 81. It's another French band, Ugh. but it's it's less melodic than uh, Syndrome or whatever. And uh, mm. there was something else, too. But yeah, a lot of new music has come out. I got to say, of the new music that's come out, I'm with you. That Homefront record, it's is fucking perfect. Unbelievable. unbelievable. It's so good. Uh, Expendables, the new record by Fake Names, uh, that sure, came yeah. out. And I, I mean, I know you're not so much into the pop as I am, but it's like, you know, the refused dude and Brian Baker, like, and, uh, Brendan Conti's on drums. It's, it's a super group for, uh, over 40 men. So, you know, it's cool. Uh, the other big deal is that the entire De La Soul catalog dropped on all streaming services last Friday. Yep. Yep. So we're talking three feet high and rising, but we're also talking stakes is high. We're also talking balloon mind state. We're also talking um, De La Soul is dead. Like, and it's funny recently, Liam, I don't know if I talked about it on here, but my iPod resurrected and there's a ton of shit on there that I'm like, that isn't on streaming. You know what I mean? Like, holy crap. Like the Gordon Sully motherfuckers, 12 inches on there and the fucking um, the first, the self-titled drive like Jehu record. None of these things are available on streaming. And one of the things that I had on there was all the Daylight records because they're one of my favorite bands of all time. And now that uh, there was a moment when like the iPod resurrected and it was cool, right? And I was listening to Daylight and uh, I work with people who like hip hop. And one of the new texts was like, "What? what is this? I've never heard this because they're young, Liam. They're young. And I was like, well, it's coming out on March 3rd, but this is De La Soul. And then it was a crash course on who the native tongues were and how what their relationship to Tribe Called Quest was and Buster Rhymes and like all this stuff. And it was, it felt as though I was teaching the youth about the hip hop that came before them. But now they can just listen to it because it's available everywhere, all the day law stuff. And it still sounds so sublime and so good. Like that, it, it's hard to say that if I would have even loved hip hop as much as I do, if, had it not been for day law. And so to hear I it now, that. I feel that it's just so good. Like, so between that and the home front record, I've been in bliss the other on track thing i played with gorilla biscuits last weekend y'all yeah that happened well hard turf played our first show in harrisburg the friday night because we wanted to knock the dust off and we wanted to get one out the way before we do the big one which was at the church with combust 
and Raw Brigade and Dead Last and Kill Your Idols and the Gorilla Biscuit. So it was just like, holy shit, we're playing with these the with like a bunch of new bands that are sick and a bunch of old bands that informed us. So it was like a big deal. And Hard Turf is the first band for our guitar player, Pete, who didn't start playing guitar until pandemic. So we had to get one out the way and we played at a bar called uh, JD Love Drafts or HD Love Drafts or HP. It sounds like HP Lovecraft, but it was something Love Drafts. So it was different. But um, it was it was it was our first time in front of people like that wasn't in the practice space. So it felt like felt like a show proper. You know what I mean? And um, people moshed for us, which who does that for a person's first show? But um, it was cool. And we played and it was fun. And then Saturday, the following Saturday, we're, we practiced again. And then that night, I went and saw uh, our friend Aaron Dalbeck and his band Be Well, because they were playing the first night of the Gorilla Biscuits two-night stand at the First Unitarian Church. So it was fun seeing Be Well, because they're one of my favorite bands, and I love them so much as people and as musicians. So that was cool. And then I dipped because I was like, well, I'm going to go. I, I'm not that much of a pagan babies fan. I don't really know them. You know what I mean? Like they weren't part of my like lexicon of like informed, like hardcore that I was listening to during like the formative years. So, you know, I get it. I understand how people like it. And I just haven't had a chance to really sit with it. So, I, but I left because I was like, we're going to see girl biscuits tomorrow. I'd rather get rest. And then Sunday came and we got there on time. We loaded in and, um, you know, you got a sound check, but on Sundays you have to wait, especially like matinee Sunday shows. You have to wait until after the service of the church is done before you can make noise. So we were set up on stage and like everyone's getting ourselves together because we were the first band. And I was just walking around introducing myself to other people that were there because, you know, I knew some of the Kill Your Idols guys, but like I, I'd only ancillarily met like some of the Gorilla Biscuits people. So I was just introducing myself. And so right before we were about to sound check, I was just kind of walking around the back of the church, you know, just talking to people. And uh, I was like, hey, what's your name? And dude is like, my name's Mike. And that's when it dawned on me that that's Mike Judge. And I was like, ah, hello, Mike. My name's Josh. I'm going to go sound check with my band now. And I ran up on the stage and <laughs> I told him, I was like, guys, 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 that's Mike Judge back there. All right. So don't fuck up the sound test. Don't fuck up the sound check. So then we played uh, just a song just to get all levels and everything like you do for your band, you know, and um, Mike Judge bobbed his head. So guess what? I'm good. That works for me. I'm good. That was, yeah, that was like, all right, that was, it. That, was all you needed. <laughs> that was it. We're good. We can go home now. Right. So then, um, we played, and I gotta say, we got my squad kind of crushed it, dog. We were good. Like Swisher was in full form, and like he was going nuts. And having two three hundred pound uh, Asian men on stage at the same time is not uh, an ideal situation, but I can understand how it can be amusing because we were just running into each other like we were just like two bumbling idiots, and it was super fun. And um, Scott killed it, and Pete killed it, and Warren killed it. So it was a it was a really fun gig. And then we got to see all the bands, and that was really fun. Yan showed up at the show with a backpack filled with liquor, at which point I got hammered with Dave. And it was really like I've never been drunk at shows like that. You know what I mean? And it got really, really fun. And then Grill Biscuits went on and I got to watch them. And that fucking I love that band still. And they played as one. They played the entire New Direction or yeah, New Direction record. But then they also played as one by Warzone. They played um New York crew by judge. They played minor threat by minor threat. Like it was fucking cool, man. It was a great show. Great set. Really fun time. And then I got to like, while we're, everybody's loading out and everything, you know, I, I talked to um, their bass player, Arthur, and he was very impressed that I was wearing a t-shirt that I made because of our show that says Emmett Otter's jug band Christmas. And he was like, what was, 
is the name of the porcupine. I was like, Waldo? <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's it. So it was really fun. And we we're just talking about movies after that. So, um, you know, he was like, I can come on your show. It'd be awesome. It's like, yeah, man, that's a thing. So then that was cool. And then I told Siv that I loved him, which is, you know, I guess the thing you say when you're drunk in the basement of a church. And um, he said, I can't say that I love you, but I loved your band. And again, <laughs> I had a moment like, all right, that's a thing. Everyone be cool. Nobody move. And um, yeah, and that was fun. So that's it. That's all I got. I love that. I love that whole story. That's great. <laughs> so right. dumb, right? Uh, speaking of being awkward in public, we're going <laughs> to take a break and then we're going to come back and talk about uh, uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, awkward classic, let's say. Oof, uh, 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 a, a real... A real roller coaster ride for some people. I think it's easier for others. I got to say, Josh, uh, though I think this movie is maybe perfect, mm. it is almost impossible for me to watch it. And that yeah. is Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy. We'll be right back. After the break.
And we're back, and we're talking about the 1982 Marty Scorsese flick starring Bobby De Niro, The King Kong. I think it's worth mentioning. We're, we're so we're not doing a double feature because we're we're trying to do, and I want people to know this so that they don't think we're just kind of like giving Cheaping. them giving yeah. them less stuff. We're trying to do our uh, episodes that are closer to an hour. So that we can do more episodes. I don't know mm-hmm. if we'll be able to do weekly or not. We're definitely going to nail twice a month. And then we'll see. If we can get to weekly, we're going to fucking do it. But we'll see yeah, what, man, what can happen. That's what we're going to do. So that's what it is. It's not that we're just trying to rip you guys off or something. It's just uh, we're thinking if we do one movie, then it might be easier for us to to do this more regularly. And I think of a movie to do that's just one movie. Yeah. This is this a pretty crazy. So full of stuff to talk about. Oh, so. my God. So let's I, get it. You know, obviously we're not, we're not, uh, we're not Scorsese scholars. Oh yeah. That wasn't, what I was going to say, but that is, oh, yeah. I do want to say that what I was going to say is we're not, um, we're not breaking new ground saying, Hey, this classic Scorsese movie starring Robert De Niro is really good. That's not obviously a hot take, but, yeah. uh, but it is a movie that, and I don't know if you find this, I don't hear about as much and was one of the reasons I wanted to cover it. The same as, when we did uh, After Hours, right? Did we do mm. After... I think we did After Hours. Did we yeah. do After Hours? When I we did, we did. I thought we did. When we did that, that was very much a feeling of, hey, this movie doesn't get... The love that it probably deserves. Yeah. Or, or the hate. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 fair. It just doesn't get acknowledged as much, right? And mm. uh, and I think this happens a lot where uh, lovers of Scorsese maybe just assume, of course, everyone knows about King of Comedy. Haters of Scorsese just want to say, like, uh, people who hate... Scorsese, they act like he only made like uh, Mean Streets, yeah, uh, Goodfellas, and uh, whatever, uh, The Departed, yeah, Yeah. and Raging Bull, Taxi Driver. Like those Mm. are the only movies he ever made, and that's that's just not true, right? Mm. He he actually has a much more diverse, wider cast net than that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think some people who claim to love Scorsese. Might actually love him less if they did a full watch through of all of his movies yeah. because he does a lot of different stuff. And I think that while he definitely has his style, um, it's not one note. So if you have only decided you like that one note, you're not actually going to be satisfied. I say this movie is yeah. closer to, for me, Josh, I felt like this movie was closer to what Scorsese is known for in some ways. It's very New York. It has a very mm. sort of certain his kind of style to it. But also, it's different than a lot of the things that people associate with him uh, in, yeah, in, in a few different ways, despite sure. having De Niro in it. What did you think? Had you seen this before? And what are your thoughts on the movie? I actually had not. It's one of the movies that uh, when I worked at TLA Video was sold to me like, oh, yeah, that's like the greatest Scorsese movie. And, you know, I don't really know Scorsese like that, if we're being honest with each other. Like, we've done episodes on Scorsese, but I haven't ever done the deep dive on the Scorsese catalog that most people find their reverence in, right? So um, this movie is a first-time watch for me, but my relationship with Scorsese is rooted deeply in my relationship with film in as much as he is one of the main donors for the Nitrate Film Festival that happens every year that Melania and I go to in Rochester, New York. And so seeing the movies that influenced him is a lot more familiar to me than his actual product, which is a weird thing to say, and I get that. But also, it's informed by this... Uh, annual pilgrimage that I make with my wife to go see films um, cast on nitrate print. So he has, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing to say that I don't know Scorsese like that. And I know more about his, what he likes as opposed to what he has made, but that's the minority I find myself in. That said, King comedy for me was a first watch and I loved it. It was 
incredible to me. What's your relationship with this movie, Liam? You've seen it before now. I have actually. This was one. Of, this was uh, this was kind of inspired by not our coverage of um, After Hours, but on um, the Cinema Sports Sports Show. You uh, don't know Dick. We did uh, After Hours because Dick Miller is in After Hours, mm. and and that was one of our early episodes was on After Hours, and. I knew about not just After Hours and King Comedy, but that there was a chunk of Scorsese movies that I was unfamiliar with. And that um, if I wanted to either criticize or defend his work, it would make sense for me to see more of these movies that maybe don't get the same amount of attention. Um, and I loved After Hours so much, both when we when I watched it for that and then rewatching it for our episode. Mm. Um, it It just really resonated with me. And I thought, fuck, I got to check out King of Comedy. And I watched it and it made me feel incredibly uncomfortable, but I thought it was maybe brilliant. (laughs) On this rewatch, here I am. I technically know the beats. I technically know things like I know that Sandra Bernhardt has one of the greatest performances I've seen in a long time. Like she's unbelievable in it. I think she's hilarious in it and a bit menacing as well, which is sort of what she's called to be. Uh, and, and kind of what the whole movie is, which is this is kind of funny, but it's also kind of not funny is the vibe yeah. of the whole film. Um, and I know like exactly uh, how uncomfortable Robert De Niro gets. Like I knew all this stuff. So I, I guess we should do a, a, a brief synopsis just in case there are people listening who haven't seen it. Uh, King comedy is about, uh, a character named Rupert Pupkin played by Robert De Niro, who is, uh, he's like a, a new comic, but he's not a comic, right? Like you would define a comic as someone who's actually done comedy. Um, this is a person who is so obsessed with stardom and fame and with, uh, specifically with being, you know, it, at this time period, most hosts of late night shows were themselves former comedians, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Johnny Carsons of the world. Yeah, uh, And this guy wants to be that. He doesn't actually want to be a stand-up. He just wants to get through being a stand-up so that he can know famous people. And mm. within meeting him and watching him uncomfortably interact with a character played by Jerry Lewis, who's not Jerry Lewis, but is it's like a- Jerry a, Langford, yeah. Yeah, but is a version of that kind. You know, Jerry Lewis isn't this guy, but he's Jerry Lewis is sort of playing a- a version of a Johnny Carson or someone like that. And mm. uh, after having this uncomfortable interaction with this guy in which you really get the feeling that Rupert Pupkin is kind of a needy fanboy, right? Yeah. The movie slowly unveils that this man is insane. That, yeah, he that is, this man is not based in reality. Yeah. He has gone off the rails uh, a bit here. And, you know, I, I don't want to mock. I think sometimes, I can be a little too uh, flippant with with mental health stuff in movies, not in real life. Like I take that very seriously, but in movies, sometimes it's just like, oh, they're just being whatever. But I think in this sense, he is an obsessive person. He is obsessing mm. with these folks and he has become a stalker, though he sees himself as above the stalkers. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a Sandra Bernhardt character who basically tries to assault this uh jerry, jerry lewis. lewis's character yeah. and it's revealed later despite his you know uh Rupert pumpkin's attitude towards this woman that he knows her because of course he does he knows all of the obsessive people who hang out at the back door of the show trying to get uh autographs, autographs and pictures and, trying, and all yeah, this. Yeah, yeah yeah and what's incredible is this film somehow manages to on one hand take a really critical view of 
stardom fandom. and yeah. our obsession with celebrity and fandom. But it it comes out in two directions. On one hand, we get these fan characters that make us feel uncomfortable because they're yeah. so obsessive and they fetishize these people. But on the other hand, it doesn't take a positive view of the industry. It's not that, oh, there's all these innocent, talented Celebrities people. out there, yeah. They're, they're, they're not exonerated in any way. They're not painted as like these no. benevolent characters. Yes. If anything, they're painted as terrible people that are just differently terrible than these obsessed fans. Yeah, well, and they feed off of this. There's a danger, but it's a danger that they need in order to survive. And then when the when the when we see the behind the scenes business machinations, like what what can we do to to deal with this person? Uh, so, uh, at long story short, after a lot of harassment and uh, 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 stalking and various efforts to get on the show. It finally becomes clear that Jerry's never going to put Rupert Pumpkin on the show because he knows that this guy just doesn't know anything about comedy. Doesn't know what he's doing. Um, Rupert kidnaps him yeah. and uses the leverage from that kidnapping to get on the show. And, um, I, you know, this movie's old enough. I, I'm, you know, spoilers ahead. <laughs> uh, hopefully you don't care. Uh, and it works. He he, he gets, gets on, on the, the fucking show. show. He gets to introduce the show. Yeah. And then he gets to get out to the bar where his uh his female uh person that apple of his eye, the person that he's pining after, is working, and he stands next to the television when his segment airs. And he uh. goes to prison, but the celebrity thing has now functioned to that he's he writes a book about it, he's gonna get yeah. his own show. Like this has worked for him. And the condemnation of that, like I think a a weaker plot would have nailed Rupert Pumpkin. It would have said, well, in the real world, this wouldn't exist. Something would happen. Yeah. Right. But because Jerry gets away and, and Rupert, you know, is, is at least to some extent, you know, sticks to what he said. And, but most importantly, uh, Scorsese wants to really, I, I think, again, I don't know, but I think mm -hmm. wants to say that the machine runs on the attention. Right. Yeah. So while there might be rational people within the machinations who say, well, this is fucking crazy. We shouldn't yeah. do this. It's it doesn't still matter. the manner by which the whole operation moves. Right, right. Yeah. It's it's going to do what it needs to do to make the money, to get the eyeballs, to make the money. Mm. And it's a it's a cutting. It's a fucking It's a vicious movie. movie for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a movie that's not concerned with um exoneration of idols. It's it's a yes. movie it's the anti-idolatry movie because uh, Scorsese clearly says that both sides of this line are fucked. Right. And you get it. You know what I mean? It's man. So what was your reaction watching it this time? Other than discomfort, Liam? Yeah. I mean, let me just start there though and say like, I notoriously have trouble with uncomfortable comedy, you know, which, uh, uh, it's gotten worse with age. You know, when I was younger, I watched the whole British office, like I had it on mm -hmm. DVD, you know, and this is before yeah. We all found out that that dude sucks balls, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, that is all uncomfortable. It's all about awkwardness and uncomfortable being uncomfortable. And it didn't, it didn't bum me out. I, it did make me uncomfortable, but it didn't kill me. Now that I've gotten older, I'm really uptight about that. Like I'll watch it, but there are times when I have trouble really focusing on things that are aren't that uncomfortable. They make my skin crawl a little bit. <laughs> so watching this was really hard. Uh, I want to be clear, like, this is very similar to the kind of awkward comedies that are kind of in vogue right now, but it's different because 
it doesn't cape for the camera. Like the way a lot of mm. these awkward comedies work is there's a there's a wink and a nod. They yeah, let you know. And it's very obvious, like, oh, this is the joke though. You know what I mean? Yes. Like And this which, movie very much flirts with not being funny. Yeah, no joke. That making it weirdly one of the funniest movies that I've seen in recent memory. Yeah, it's funny, but it's also not fucking funny. And yeah. I and if you don't know what we mean, then you need to see this movie. Like, yeah, because it, it really does toe that line. It also toes the line between seventies Scorsese informed realism and the surrealism of a Jodorowsky. Wouldn't you say that, Liam, or no? No, I think that's true, especially like we get some really insane sequences. Yeah, some really sure. like some really wonderful ones too, though. Like yeah, the yeah, Sandra yeah, Bernhardt yeah. sequence that you talked about. Oh yeah. Yo, that part was so good. And I'll be honest with you, like seeing Sandra Bernhardt in the movie, I never understood why this person was so extolled by like the industry. I didn't I don't know anything about Sandra Bernhardt other Are you than like joking right now? I know that she's friends with Madonna. That's no. it. Oh my god, buddy. Oh my God. We need to. Okay. Uh, I know Adriana's fucking screaming at whatever she listens to podcast. That's right fair. And so you know, I won't be the first time that Adriana is screaming at oh, me because I'll, t- I'll, I'll accept that. I, that's true. Listen, but man, let me, I don't no, know. Let me, no, stop. Know stop. Adriana. Cause she's just going to get more upset. Adriana, we will do an episode on the movie. There's a movie version of Sandra Bernhardt's live one woman show. That is essential viewing. And we okay. will we will watch that Sandra Bernhard. Uh, Are you a was, Sandra Bernhard fan? So I I am and I'm not. I appreciate her. I'm not a fan the way that a lot of folks are, and I only know of her importance because honestly of the sort of culture podcast that I listen to between Linoleum Knife and Las Culturistas, i.e. the uh, Gay Men podcast that I listen to. Uh, <laughs> I know the love that goes cross generational. Right, we've got Linoleum Knife, Elder Gen X. We've got Las Culturistas, uh, mid-level millennials, both have a deep appreciation for Sandra Bernhardt. So that says to me uh, her importance. Now, I have uh, I have not seen the movie version of her live performance. I have seen other things that she's done, um, but I know that that is one of the things that has been hailed to me as an important part of her sort of a history as a performer. And so I've mm. wanted to see it for a while. I wasn't necessarily thinking about us doing an episode about it, but now that I know that you are in the dark even more than I am, I'm like, okay, then we need to do it. Maybe we'll even have Adriana on if, if she's into that. I know she likes Sandra Bernhardt. I don't know if she's a fan of that particular movie or not. Uh, but I know that Sandra Bernhardt, she was a performer, you know, you could say comedian, it's a style of comedy, right? But mm. it's also like it's musical performance. You know, she's very much was a, a part of, a performance community that was, you know, embedded in the gay community of New York. Mm. Uh, and, and she's done a lot more even than I am aware of. I only know because of a, you know, I, I grew up with a couple of things here and there that I knew that she did. And then B other people's deep appreciation of her that I've mm. come to know that she, she, her as an actor was almost a side project of the live performance stuff that she's done which again music spoken word uh really like a kind of comedy but not the sort of like you know you would say she was one of the early people i think you would say this in alternative Mm. comedy where it's not about jokes like a punchline you know what i mean it's about a person persona and a perception yeah Yeah, yeah, i guess so i think that's all (laughs) that's all part of it and 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 really at this early time, just because of who she was, 
an advocate uh, for that community. So anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into it. And I'm sure if not Adriana, someone we know is probably an expert on her. So we need to, we that need to have said, that conversation. Her, her She's monologue so fucking good in this, in She's this so fucking funny. movie in King of Comedy is incredible. And then when she sings, what the fuck was that? And that's like, what she's known for. Shit. I think that's Scorsese playing into like, hey, I've got this person who is a dynamo. I mean, really just an amazing performer. I'm mm. going to utilize one of her talents for that. You know, it's funny, too, because this movie has the clash in it. Like they play streets, guns and all this. And it just feels like this movie. Well, OK, for first for starters, like we were saying at the beginning, my knowledge of Scorsese is limited to the things that. I've seen Raging Bull, you know what I mean? I've seen Goodfellas. Like, I get it, you know? I understand. And again, I'm very versed in, like, his appreciation of film, if not his catalog. That said, this movie feels to me as though it's his most playful movie without being playful. And in that, he has all these cameos, like Victor Borges in here, um, Dr. Joyce Brothers, The Clash, uh, and uh, Don Letts is in this movie. And they're all extras, and he's an extra in it, too. He plays a TV director. It's it's kind of a it seems like this is the him showing his ass kind of movie. Would you say that that's a correct assessment? Oh, what do you mean by that? Say more. About it's that. him just flexing. It's him just being like, guess how many cool people yeah. I know? Well, I, I would say that it, in addition it, to being a dope movie and Jerry Lewis is in there, too. So well, I, I think in a way it, it's kind of interesting because he's made this movie that is in some ways a study of a real anti. You know, this this comes out post. Uh, taxi driver right mm-hmm. and taxi driver is a, a, an ex- a character exploration of a real b- a bad man right yeah well he takes the same dude he fucking puts him in some weird suits and gives him a weird haircut and then we get the same guy playing a different version of an of a of, of a the bad taxi dude. driver dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah this wow. is another uncomfortable man who has uncomfortable man ideas and is but he is different in every other you know what i mean like there's a way yeah. in which this is robert de niro and there's another way in which i don't i can't think of a lot of other robert de niro performances that are rupert pupkin like this yeah. is an unbelievable it is him there's so much of him in it of who we've come to know as mm. robert de niro in it and yet there's so many things he does in it that are like not anything you've seen from him before yeah and i fucking love that what's more i think in commenting uh, in, in so this is an exercise in that is what I was trying to say. Also, mm-hmm. an exploration, as we've said, of fame, celebrity. Uh, honestly, uh, uh, celebrity fuel capitalism. Like money is a big part of what you need. Yeah. But in doing that, it also becomes itself a piece of pop culture because he incorporates so much pop culture of the time. It's part of the texture of the movie. There are probably references in the movie that we don't even know, despite being closer to it than maybe some of our other listeners who are a little bit younger than us. Mm-hmm. There's probably more here we would know. I'm sure there's even more things in in it that like we're just too young to appreciate yeah. what's going on in it. And yet there's enough here that I felt like I felt like it was layered. It felt mm. layered and thought through and intentional in the ways that different references were being thrown at us. And in which we were being shown a, a, a fun house mirror of the popular culture of the year that this came out. Yeah, I agree. It's a really interesting movie, man. It really does show like a rev, a reverence for yes. Yes. The Jerry, Jerry, um, La, uh, Jerry L, the Jerry Lewis character, 
but also an abhorrence for it. Yeah, and that's I mean, a very interesting texture to hit as an iconic filmmaker as Scorsese is with well, the, the with the toys of Robert De Niro at your beck and call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's I mean, it's interesting to think about it, too, because like Scorsese, 1982, he's like famous. He's well known. He's a part mm. of the American culture, but he's still maybe in some ways a little bit of an outsider at that point. I don't know. It's yeah. hard to say. I mm. mean, by the 90s, like by the yeah, time he I know icon. Him, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like he is part of popular culture. You can't avoid that. Uh, at this point, does he still feel a little weird? I mean, I certainly think that um, this is this is obviously pre uh, Goodfellas, right? And so, uh, yes, Taxi Driver's huge. Yes, Mean Streets is huge. But the kind of thing he's doing is maybe still a little outside of the larger sort of context. Like I, yeah. I, I wonder- or outside of the way. Hollywood traditions have been conducting themselves up until this point. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I, I, I think that, um, I mean, maybe this is a place where we're kind of showing our ass in the sense of like, we aren't total film historians, but I, mm -hmm. I do, I do think it's true that it's interesting to think about this as his commentary on this, uh, on this celebrity thing that he is inevitably going to be a part of that. He is going yeah. to, you know, so, you know, before this, like, so Raging Bull has come out. So he is definitely like made movies that everyone cares about. But like after King of Comedy, we get After Hours, which we talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, we get um, The Color of Money, which is oh, you know, pretty the sequel to um, The Fast Eddie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's that called? Um, I love that movie with Mississippi Fats. Yeah, uh, but like, he, I really don't know that he like is really like boiling up the culture again until mm. the last temptation of Christ, which again is a bit of a, that's a controversial one. That's yeah. yeah people talk about it, but it, it's a, maybe, maybe it also got him a little bit of a, of a, of whatever, like a pushback, but mm. then it's really not till 1990s Goodfellas that he's back in the sort of like more mainstream pop culture mm. conversation. He follows that up with Cape fear, another big mainstream yeah. John uh, age of innocence, which like people don't talk about anymore. But at the time was a really that was big, a big movie movie. drawn. Yeah. Uh, and then and then there's sort of the the stuff that we don't talk about isn't that long after that. Like we covered Casino, yeah. which doesn't get as much. Kundun doesn't but get I as love, much. I love fucking uh, 99's Bringing Out the Dead is really like uh, wonderful one of those movie. forgotten yeah. Scorsese movies, you know, like. Anyways, again, not that Scorsese, anything Scorsese has done is really forgotten. It just becomes less of a cliche. Less as, of a mouthpiece as the big Goodfellas. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. same way that like he made lots of movies before Wolf of Wall Street. But mm. when Wolf of Wall Street came out, suddenly we were all talking about Scorsese again. The yeah. way we had been, say, when Casino came out or say when Goodfellas came out. It's like he comes in and out of the like more common parlance, even if movie fans, which is a, you know, a chunk of our audience, they probably, he seems obvious to them, you know, yeah. but he's mm -hmm. really not obvious the way like Spielberg is obvious. Like, yeah. you know, for a long time, Spielberg hasn't made a movie that people didn't talk about, even if what they ended up saying was it sucks, right? Like mm -hmm. not everyone liked the Fablemans, but everybody knew about the Fablemans, even yeah. if a lot of people were like, Oh, what a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think in, in that way, there have been times earlier, not recently, but earlier in Scorsese's career where here's this famous guy, he puts out a movie. I'm sure people were talking about it for a little bit, but it doesn't have the the staying power of some of his other films, you know? It's true. 
The other thing that I think is very much on display for King of Comedy is that with a director like Spielberg, you can say he's your favorite director or he's the most hated director that you know of. And you could be correct in both of those. With Scorsese, I think it's untenable to think that someone would be like, this is a bad movie. Technically, or at least narratively, like the man is a master at the craft. And I don't think the same argument that you can make for Spielberg, you can make for Scorsese. I mean, I know people who hate Scorsese. Like, in fact, uh, I would, I, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure um, friend of the show, Sam Deegan, hates Scorsese. Just is not, uh, well, not into it. Okay. Not into it, but you can't say it's bad, though. I don't think. Yeah, that's what I, so what I want to say is I, I know people who hate Scorsese. I don't know that they would say he makes bad movies. They might say they would that say it's not for them. Yeah, yeah. boring in, in for some reason, or maybe uh, some might say like emotionally manipulative. Like some people feel like he's just a more gritty version of what Spielberg is doing and that mm. he's using the tools of cinema to manipulate his audience without having much to say, blah, 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 whatever it is. I mean, I'm not trying to disrespect those people. I just don't get all that. Like, mm. yes, I don't love every Scorsese movie, but the ones I love, I think are really doing yeah, something you love think, love yeah and i think this is an example of that i certainly have to say like if part of the goal here is to make the audience uncomfortable he fucking got me yeah. man i i am squirming through the whole runtime of this it's thing so even the funny good. even the like blatantly funny parts make me feel unhappy a little very bit. uncomfortable yeah yeah even the part where he where they they barge into the house while he's playing golf i get that it's funny but also it's not very funny no, <laughs> it's a bummer no. yeah it's it's Wow, what a scene. So good, though. And apparently that was a completely ad-libbed scene. <laughs> and it was Jerry Lewis's first. This is what the IMDb trivia says, that it was Jerry Lewis's first time working with method actors such as uh, Robert De Niro. And he was but he uh, he hung in there and that's what they ended up with. And it's pretty great. It's an amazing scene for sure. I think it's really well like it's just the girl being upset and then like. Uh, De Niro trying to like smooth everything over with this uh, imagined uh, uh, what would the word be this imagined currency of friendship that he thinks he has with Jerry oh it's so good it's such a wild scene I love it so much I do I'd even suffice to say that this might be my favorite Scorsese movie right now because it blends all the elements of things that I love into one uncomfortable cocktail I, it's hard for me to say that because, like I said, it's so difficult for me to watch, which is the point. Like, that's not a criticism a of yeah. it, but it's also like, fuck. Like, OK, I, 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 I do think it's my my favorite of the moment, though. It has been a while since I've rewatched other ones that people love mm. more than this. So that might be part of it. Um, but fuck. I think so. Here's here's a bit of what is going on for me, too, in this whole thing, which is that when you think about that ending, right? Mm. I wonder if the ending doesn't hit as hard because since this movie, people have done horrible things and gone to jail and then come out and become famous, right? Mm, yeah. Like it, to some extent, I wonder if this movie. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who doesn't listen to the show, but uh, I'll cite them anyway, my friend Cole kind of felt like maybe this movie was in response to John Hinckley Jr. Shooting Reagan, you know, oh, wow, yeah. and the ways that people were kind of connecting that event to taxi driver. 
And I wonder if this is not in some way related to that. I, he, he, he brought that up in a, in a, in a, uh, letterbox thing and and since i read that i've been thinking about that too uh, at least to this phenomena of sort of the relationship between famous people and whatever you know and mm-hmm. knowing the john hinckley jr and uh and jody the jody foster thing and all that stuff right yeah. and so um to what extent i find myself wondering um if this movie might not hit as hard or hit in a different way like i wonder if at the time 1982 if people would maybe even be more deeply offended by the ending, not mm. knowing that this shit is not that far off from the real from reality life. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, like not, not that everyone ends up with a TV show, but, but like a lot of people, people get to celebrity by nefarious ways. They at least get to write a book, right? Like that's <laughs> utterly obvious. You know, I mean, you just got to look at the OJ book, like the, uh, if I did it book, get yeah. the fuck all the way out of here yeah yeah all that yeah so i i do want to say like i i think um there's for that aspect of it probably more going on with it emotionally than i felt because to me it's just a fun ending that kind of rings somewhat ironic but Mm. i wonder if maybe it was more charged pointed yeah when it came out Yeah, 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 yeah yeah i don't know i don't know but yeah it's it's right now leaning towards my favorite scorsese film though i do think some of the cla- the heavy hitters in the Scorsese canon, mm. are, are they they lose points because they're so familiar. You know how many yeah, times have yeah, I watched yeah, Goodfellas? How many right. times have I watched Taxi Driver? How many times have I watched Mean Streets? They don't hit as hard because of because that. you've seen them so many times, right? And, and then seen and then this a movie, much. and then a movie like Casino, we talked about in our episode about it. Some of the Scorsese stuff and it gets on my nerves. There's too much voiceover in Casino. Yeah, half the movie's fucking voiceover, even though I like the movie so much goddamn voiceover it starts to get on my nerves so i think i think maybe for people who don't mind that maybe casino hits them more than this but for me right now i'm more into this i think i might rate something like after hours equal with it but mm. i think this movie's better than after hours it's just that after hours doesn't make me squirm i could rewatch after hours right now and I don't it won't know if make I you can, uncomfortable the way. I don't know. I, I'll probably watch this movie again in like a year. I, yeah. I need some time away. It makes me so yeah. uncomfortable. I get it. Yeah, I agree. But I love it. Ultimately, I think I love this movie. I think it's an important movie to watch too to understand. Like, I think this movie had influence on more people than we know, even though it doesn't get as cited as much. Mm-hmm. This kind of like weird, awkward character. I think people did less scary less horrifying versions like because ultimately Rupert Pupkin is frightening he's a frightening yeah. person ultimately he's a dogged and f- single-minded individual yeah that can be the taxi driver character right that can be the Travis Bickle but to what extent does a softer version of this become a part of our comedy lexicon and mm. I think that I think that happens I think this movie yeah. influenced a bunch of other people who weren't trying to make something upsetting, who weren't as angry, but they really borrowed from this movie. I think that that happened. Oh, well. Anyways. Hey. <laughs> hey, guys. I like this movie a lot. Josh liked this movie a lot. You should watch this movie. Yeah. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's definitely worth your time. And it, it sheds a little bit of light on the Scorsese oeuvre as we move into the 80s. So I think it's definitely worth your time to watch. All right. Well. There you go. It's not that much shorter, but it's a little <laughs> bit shorter than we've done recently. So there you go. Uh, we're going to try to record again relatively soon. In the meantime, 
you know, do the things. The rate, the review, the subscribe. The tell a friend. Yeah, tell a friend. Check out the Patreon if you haven't yet. And, you know, we want your feedback. Is there something that you've been wanting us to cover that we haven't gotten to yet? Hit us up. I've had a few people hit us up occasionally. Um, If you're still, if you suggested something and we didn't mention it recently, hit me again just because I might have forgot. And uh, I'll just own it. You know, ADHD, I forget shit sometimes. So feel free to remind me. That would be very helpful. Also, if you have any criticisms on what we've said today, feel free to hit us up on all the socials. It's at C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X. If we don't know shit about Scorsese, if we're completely wrong and you know better, yo, dog, holla at your boys. Let's talk about it. I'll let you answer those tweets. Yeah. I don't need that in my life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you again a little bit on Down the Road. Uh... A smoke bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.